Well, hello. How are you hello. doing today? today <laughs> it is getting beltier. Yes. Well, I mean, oh. you're, well, <laughs> well was, is that kind of coming from your, your show that you did so yesterday? I thank you for bringing this. I had such an, I sang last night. I was a featured soloist. It was called backstage at the Geffen at the Geffen Playhouse here in Los Angeles. They were Lily Tomlin was presenting a, an award to Rita Moreno for excellence in the arts. And I got to sing for basically all of Hollywood. It was a very incredible night, red carpet. It was, it was, I, I sang some really golden age musical theater and Rita Moreno. I, let me tell you this, this 90 year old, beautiful woman gets up on stage and everybody's, you know, she gets like a six, seven minute standing ovation. And then she starts talking about herself. And she said, you know, my good girlfriend recently asked me if I think about or want to have sex. And everybody got kind of quiet. And, and, so la- and laughing. She's 90, 90 years okay. old. And she's like, no, no, I'm 90. I don't know. So everybody laughed. And then and then she said, you know, I just and so then she said, I recently wrapped a film and we did a 30 day shoot. And in one of the scenes, I had to walk into a men's locker room and everybody was half naked from the waist up. And then she gets really quiet and she says. Ladies and gentlemen. Those fucking pheromones. (laughs) So I called my girlfriend back and said, I bought a vibrator. like what oh my gosh well i mean i don't know everybody went berserk berserk Um, you know the older people are a little bit friskier i think than most people realize well we were talking about the didn't you tell me that the highest std or sti rate is Uh, what basically retirement homes have the highest like per capita amount of STDs and STIs because those people don't care anymore and they still have the urges. You but know, you know I, I kind of love that in a, yeah, in a weird I way. <laughs> I, I, I think that that's great. Like those are all people in those nursing homes are getting it on. I hope, I hope that's me. Yeah. I hope that my nursing they have home homosexual is, retirement. Homes. I'm sure. I'm sure they do. I, I just think, yeah, let's both just hope that that's where we end up. We should, you know, leave that in your, I don't even know how to, how I would tell my children, like, I want you to make sure to put me in a home that has a high STD. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, so and the oh the actor Camille, he was in the Big Sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so nice. He was in the green room and so kind to us backstage. It was really cool. Like randomly, the stage manager Jill Gold, who had stage managed me in Beauty and the Beast at La Mirada, at Kathy Rigby's theater, was there. She was the stage manager for the evening. Um, wow. We got to we got to play with some amazing musicians. The cast was incredible. It was just such a a really and that theater is gorgeous. Yeah, it's it, so, it definitely. I, I only saw some pics. You have to send me a video. Oh, yeah. You refuse to send me your rehearsal well, no, video. They, I'll send you the rehearsal video, but they backstage at the Geffen, they don't allow any filming really? or any press inside the actual event. Like one year, lady, uh, two years ago, Lady Gaga came and performed. I mean, you never know who's going to show up there, but it was literally Hollywood royalty. I'll stop talking about it. It was an incredible <laughs> night. I was really, I'm still, no, please I, tell I us have, more. I've <laughs> had, I've had no sleep. So I'm just, I'm yeah. still like buzzing. You're from, running from, off of adrenaline. Yeah, exactly. And, and people were so it, there is this very strong theater community in in 
LA, which I wouldn't even know, but it's a very small, intimate theater community, but everybody's famous. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, what? just that kind of situation. But it felt very Charleston to me. It yeah. honestly, it felt yeah. very like small and everybody knows everybody. And everybody's supportive of it. It was just, it was a very, it's anyway, I can't say enough about it. Well, speaking of Charleston, I also went to an event yesterday that was kind of mind blowing. My parents are big supporters of the Democratic Party and Uh they are up in the mountains at this moment. So basically, I don't know when they'll ever come back, but I am now kind of their proxy. So I got the wonderful opportunity to go meet Adam Schiff. He is a congressman from California and basically kind of rub elbows with some very powerful, but, but passionate people. And it was like extremely inspirational. And it just got me back into like, we were talking a lot about the, the fact of, of our country, the state of our country, where we're going, a lot of the things that we talk about on here. And what we can, how do we make real change and how does that happen? And how do we, one of the questions I ask is they kind of let us, you know, raise our hands and ask different things. And one of mine was that, you know, how do we kind of combat this in your face, basically fake news. I hate saying that because I think it's the whole term has been bastardized, but how do you combat all this, this information that's coming at you from every direction that, that may or may not be accurate? And his answer was, was very poignant in that, you know, that the only way to do that is to just, just kind of take a, a page out of that book and just be as loud as you can about the truth. And I, you made me feel very patriotic, but also like very proud of our podcast. Cause I feel like that's what we're trying to do. Well, Adam Schiff himself, we were talking about this via text when you were at the event, but he, he did, he led the, he led the impeachment of Trump. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he led that, that to happen. And so he is, I forgot what the committee is called that he was on as a security committee or national. Well, he's security. in the intelligence committee. So he, right. knows, I mean, he had just come back from literally speaking to the president of Ukraine. Yeah. Like, the week, a week before. And so right. he was like giving us updates on the situation in Ukraine, the different stuff, like basically the intelligence on Russia and what, you know, the mistakes Putin's been making. I mean, this is a whole nother podcast that we could have about it, but it was one of those things where it was like kind of an out of body experience after I left. I was like, I cannot believe I just like hung out with people that are, are, are changing in a very real way, the state of, of the country in a way I think is positive. And friend of the show, Joe Cunningham was also there. So that was nice. I saw him and in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joe. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was very, it was in a way it's like being surrounded by superstars, but yeah. it was intimate and it was wonderful and it was in, inspiring. So I think we both had a pretty good we Saturday. Did a great mm. Saturday. Yeah. Well, today we have a, a celebrity on the program. Oh, um, and another one. But we actually, you pointed out in the interview that this is the first person that we've had on that we both actually know. Yeah, both both has connect have connection to it. <laughs> it's uh, crazy. To her. So I mean, I can't um, believe that has, this is the first. So Molly O'Connell is. Uh, we've known her for years uh, in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Should I go ahead and read her bio? Yeah, go ahead and tell everybody about her. Okay, so Molly O'Connell is an American fashion model. She was a contestant on Cycle 16 of America's Next Top Model in 2011, where she was the runner-up. During her time in the cycle, Molly was known for producing beautiful pictures that stunned and captivated the judges, but she was often castigated for her pessimistic, tough, and often hilarious attitude. She was featured in magazines Huff, Shoeholics, 
Fusion, Vogue, Knitting, Fantastics Mags, Bronze, Stella, Nova, Arsenic, and American Salon. She made a guest appearance on Bravo's hit TV series, Below Deck. She walked the runway for the designer Sergio on the Project Runway season 18 finale. She was a recent guest for the Cycle 16 episode of America's Next Top Model Judge, Jay Manuel's Jay's Chat. Molly currently lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and is extremely passionate about mental health and has joined the quest to help eradicate toxic behavior from the modeling industry. Please welcome to the program, Molly O'Connell. Good morning. morning. Hello. Hi, Hi Molly. Molly. Hey, how are you? Good, We're so happy you to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we're super pumped because I don't know for the listeners out there. I think this is our first guest that Todd and I both, both know or knew yeah. before new. this. Yeah. Like I, cool. like I was thinking about that before. I don't think that we've had anybody on. It's always been somebody from one of our lives or or just somebody we've reached out to randomly, but you are somebody that we, you know, we grew up with and we've known for a while. So yeah, this is exciting. Long time. I know, yeah. right? Charleston we represent. Changed so much. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Charleston forever. Well, Molly, a lot of people, maybe our listeners know you from certain projects you've done, but for those who are just being introduced to you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you go into the exciting world of modeling and fashion? Oh, gosh. Well, so yes, I am Molly. I'm in my 30s. I started modeling in uh, high school. Funnily enough, I wanted to start modeling when I was about 11 or 12 when I looked absolutely ridiculous. I had like a weird little mushroom bowl cut. I had gap teeth. I was very short. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to be a model. So I'm really not even sure how, how that got into my head of a you know, you're going to be that one day because I looked absolutely nothing like your typical model. But I just thought Kate Moss and all those women, they're just so pretty. I want to be like them. I think I just kind of have that in my brain that like pretty people are, I don't know, it's just kind of beaten into women's brains that like, Mm -hmm. you want to be pretty, you want to be attractive. So I think that's kind of why I wanted to start modeling. And and, and how tall are you, Molly? Now I'm 5'11", shrinking slowly from scoliosis. Did you have a growth spurt in middle school, high school? Yes. Yeah, so they were like, come back when you grow about six inches, get braces. Like Your hair needs told, to come down maybe six they inches They nicely as well. told me to grow my hair out and not look so crazy looking. And actually, I grew about six inches in the next year and a half. I grew my hair out. I got braces. And then I somehow looked kind of modely so that was just lo- the that was just luck you know I didn't... yeah so did you end up when you like kind of went in did you go to like agencies and kind of do the circuit or how did you I did like Millie Lewis in Charleston where you oh, kind of yeah. pay you kind of pay to go mm-hmm. so I did that and they were like oh yeah she's gonna be great and of course I'm I get sent to some model thing and I've not looked like a model but they were like we're gonna take her parents money and just tell her she's great <laughs> Um, oh my gosh. So it was a mess. It was a mess. But somehow I ended up growing and I ended up really just kind of finding people in Charleston and the Charleston Fashion Week and doing that. And Millie Lewis did really. That was just dipping was, your toes in the water. Confidence. You know? They gave me yeah. the confidence. Right. Even though you already had it when you were 12 and they just, you know, reinstated it. Yeah. So you so you did mention your parents and both Todd and I know that you were adopted. Yeah. yeah. So 
how has being adopted kind of affected you throughout your life, even in just modeling, but everything else? And have you ever met your birth parent? Yes, I have. Well, I've met my birth mother and some half siblings and stuff. As far as how it affected me, I knew from age three or four, as, as soon as I could understand what it really meant to be adopted, understand. My parents told me, oh, wow. trying to be like, look, you're loved by us. But as a three or four year old, you can't really comprehend that. So I grew up sort of um, pushing boundaries, but also being like afraid, you know, oh, if I do this, will I get put up for adoption again? You know, kind of weird. Um, just a weird subconscious idea that I may be abandoned again. So there's a lot of things that stem from that kind of weird forms of seeking for validation or just that goes into romantic relationships, having abandonment issues and stuff. Everyone's different. My brother, he's also adopted. He seems to be a lot more well-adjusted than I am as far as the whole adoption thing. But yeah, it, it was definitely a lot. It still is sometimes a lot. It's just Consciously, you can say, hey, I have a great life. This was yeah. better for me. Subconsciously, you're still like, oh, no, I'm a little kid. Yeah, so I kind of have a question, kind of a follow-up to that. If you could kind of, you obviously couldn't control what was going on when you were three or four years old and being told this, but do you wish yeah. that you had maybe been told later? Good question. I've wondered that a lot. I just don't know. I don't know if there's really any right time. Yeah. Because then if you wait too long, then you feel like you've been lied to. Yeah. And you, you're like, oh, wow, you kept this from me. So they, I think my parents didn't want to have a secret from me. That was their MO, which I get. You know, I'm sure there's a psychologist or something who can be like, this is the right time to do that. I have no idea. I think maybe a little later, but. Either way, probably would have had like this. Yeah, you kind of feel like you'd have the same reaction. I would say yeah. all of us knowing your parents, they're pretty direct oh, people. Yeah. I feel like they, they're you know. Pretty. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to just, they they're going to lay it out for you. <laughs> they're not going to keep that a secret for very long. Anyway, so they, no. tell, did they tell Ian, your brother? I think so. And he never, he seemed to be completely fine with it our whole childhood. I was the one who was like, ah. Oh no, maybe he's got some deep seated issues he hasn't hey, shared with us. He's got some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to kill all of us. Yeah, some people um, just, I know. Sorry, we love you, Ian. Hi, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> At least we'll get him to listen to this. We talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> Molly, our show is based in healing and, and overcoming trauma. And I know you are an, a big advocate for mental health. And I know it's very yeah. important to you. As a model, do you feel that the modeling industry is toxic as a whole? And if you do, how is it toxic? And do you think it's changing? Yes. I do believe it's toxic. It is changing as far as inclusion of like different body types, less all blonde, blue eyed, white girls, you know, that's dominated the fashion industry for so long, Abercrombie crap, all that. So it is really changing a lot in that sense, which I love. Unfortunately, you know, for the majority of my career, it's been pretty toxic and brutal towards young girls. Even in my 30s, I'm still affected by it and it gets to me. But I, I can't imagine being 16, 17, 18 right now with the way social media and everything has blown mm. up so much. It's pretty toxic. You know, I was told at 16 that I was approaching plus size because uh. my hips, my hips were 36 and a half inches around and they were like 36 is a 
approaching plus size. You got to lose weight. And I was like, this is the size of my skeleton. I don't really know how. Like Molly, how. honestly, I was watching the first episode of America's Next Top Model from Your Cycle and the plus size model in there. I was like, that is a normal, <laughs> like that's a skinny person. Like, like the size that even, I am right now. Oh, I mean, she's like, it was like, I, I could, could not wrap my mind around it because it was like, now, you know, you see the Dove commercials and they've got the actual, actual. size full figure, but they keep talking about her and she keeps talking about herself throughout the whole thing is like, well, as you know, a bigger woman and I'm just like, she's been labeled as that and she's not, what are some examples of that toxic kind of environment? Well, going to agencies and being told your hips are an inch too big or you're like, I've literally been told I need to lose an inch off each thigh by an agency, by, you know, certain jobs. Um, I'll be like, oh, we have too many girls that look like you or, you know, you're not different enough. Maybe go cut your hair or go do this or lose weight. So it's just really a lot of, there's a lot of rejection. Like, you know, obviously they're the big models and they get, they get booked by everyone, but you do get, there's a lot of rejection. You go to cast things and you're told, no, you're not the right look. You're not this, you're not that. So even though you do get these jobs and you're validated, you're just also told, no, you're not you don't look like what we want. And so can then you, you can you compare. speak to that about castings? Can you speak to what it's like to go to a casting and, and what the process is like? Well, it's a lot different now with um, COVID and stuff, but yeah, depending on where you are, pretty much just will go to a place, you know, a designer's whatever. And you'll be in a hallway in a room with 30, 40, however many girls, sometimes they'll spread it out. And then you just kind of will sit there and look at everyone else and pair yourself. And a lot of times you'll walk in front of each other or do whatever. Is it a supportive know, environment be, with the other girls or is it, it or is it competitive? Be, I feel like it's more competitive because you're literally sitting there with your competition of, oh, they might book this. I want to book this more. So then you kind of like side eyeing everyone like, oh, no, I, hope I get it over her. So it's it they they just pit you all against each other. You know, some people can understand that and be nice and be friendly. You know, it's not all horrible, but just being in the casting, it's really stressful. We're going to get into talking about America's Next Top Model, but I just feel like they do kind of brush the surface of that as far as like, I think especially y'all cycle of being like, oh, well, they need to get used to being rejected. So we're going to reject them in the first episode. Just yeah. stuff like that. So at least, I guess... There's some sort of awareness that that's going on, but do you think they're making any changes from that, even though they're aware of it? I'm not sure if it's like more face value kind of changes just to look like, oh, look at us. We're changing so people don't hate us as much or if they really are trying to change how, how it is and how they make people feel. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's like their hand has been forced to do it just mm -hmm. by everyone being like, this is screwed up or or if they truly want to change. I, I'd like to think. There's a real change happening. I mean, I see it, you know, even if it is kind of forced on their part, at least something's happening. But yeah, I don't know. It's always going to be a bit of a toxic industry, I think. I'm not really sure how they can. In, in a toxic industry like that, Molly, sorry to interrupt you, but do you feel like you have to be your own advocate? Yes, that's that's a huge thing is you have to stand up for yourself. You have to, people think, oh, I have an agent. They're the one who's going to speak on my behalf, do all these things, they're going to find me all the jobs. And to an extent that is correct, but you have to speak to them. You have to go into the office and say, hi, I'm here. Remind them that you're there. You know, if you're in a bigger agency, you really, you get lost in the shuffle. So 
you do have to advocate for yourself. And a lot of these agencies are so big. They have so many girls. They, they don't get that intimate caring relationship with their models. And I mean, in, in the agencies, a lot of them are toxic. I've had some creepy stuff happen that my modeling agency knew about and still sent me on a test shoot with someone who had been inappropriate. And so it's like, you think your agent has your back and sometimes they really don't. So you have to wait, watch wait, out. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. So you went to a a casting with someone, with a man who was inappropriate, a test shoot with a man who was inappropriate with you and the agency knew that they were sending you into the lion's den. Yes, he grabbed my breast in the middle of the, just standing around after the shoot. Are you and fucking I just kidding? Kinda, no, yeah, he reached in my shirt and grabbed my boob. No, nothing. Like, I don't know. And I just froze, didn't really know what to do. I went for him to leave the room and I just grabbed my stuff and I left. And I messaged my agency and they were like, oh, yeah, we've heard we've heard he's been creepy towards some other girls. We'll let people know. And I was like, so someone's told you that before and you still sent me. And you're going to let people know. Like, you already clearly know. So why wouldn't you let everybody know by now? Mm -hmm. They wanted the commission. Yeah, they, they don't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw they up. Just don't care about you. It's gross. Yeah, we're it's all gonna, We're both trying trying not to throw up. At See, this you know, it's, it's it's really hard to find someone who truly cares about you. You're it's we're all pieces of meat, you know. Yeah, and it could be very well. That, that's incredibly. I don't know. It's sad, and I hope that I hope whoever is listening to this, stop it. Because yes. I mean, as a culture, yeah. we've kind of advanced with the, with the Me Too movement and everything like that. But as people, we all know there's going to be little crevices where that shit keeps happening. Yeah. And so I, I think that every modeling agency, I don't even care how much money you want to make, whatever, you're still going to make the money, but you should be calling out people like yeah. that. Like that's absolutely, you already feel crazy enough as it is going into a casting, like then, and then to or, have something or, like that happen. That's absolutely insane. Well, mm-hmm. I guess I'm extremely sorry that happened to you. That is Thank disgusting. You. But in general, I guess, how how do you kind of feel like modeling affects your body image? Everybody, we've touched on a little bit, but how do you feel like it affects everybody's kind of body image in, in the industry? And do you think that those same beauty standards are are equally as hard on both men and women in the business? I think harder on women for sure. Men are kind of allowed to age. They're they're kind of and it's almost like sexier when a man ages. For women it's like, oh, you're you're over like 20. Oh my gosh. And I'm in 34, so it's like I have to lie to even get my foot in the door of an agency to meet with them at this point. So as far as age and body image, it's just it's really bad. I feel like maybe I've, I've always had some self-esteem issues. So, you know, probably a terrible idea to go into the modeling industry, but it did not help for sure. I now just compare myself constantly to other people, which I know everyone does, but I'll be on a shoot and I'll just be like, oh, wow, her, her ankles are so much skinnier than mine. And I'll just sit there and stare at it. I'll be like, wow, her, her waist is so much smaller than mine. Or like, you know, I'll just sit there and kind of touch parts of my body. And it's like, this is completely insane. You look normal. You're not fat. But in my head, I just, I beat myself down constantly. And I know it's like that for a lot of girls, just not eating, thinking they need to be thinner to fit into the sample size. 
And yeah, it's just unhealthy. I, I have so many friends who had eating disorders in New York and LA. Do you think food. that's rampant in the in the industry? Yeah. You know, like body dysmorphia, eating disorders. It's fully. Oh yeah. Everywhere. Do you suffer Everywhere. with that? Or is is it do you just because you said my friends, but do you have yeah. you know well, so I don't I have more of like I have disordered eating and guilt. I'll binge eat and then I'll feel really bad about it. So it's not quite like anorexia bulimia still still an issue disorder yeah. is still still an issue but I've had friends who you know a little more extreme issues is more what I meant I've completely had issues with it as well I have body dysmorphia I constantly just look at myself all day and will be like oh you're gross you're gross you're fat and people around me will be like Molly you know you're not and then now you're making us feel bad because we look like you or we are bigger than you and now you're calling yourself fat and it's like i I just can't get out of that cycle. This is crazy, Mentally. Molly, because knowing you, you you love the craft of modeling. You love your job. And so yeah. to, to have to go through that kind of constant torture just to do the thing that you love, it's got to be a mind fuck. Yeah. And even with, uh, you know, musically, like you've known me forever, choir and stuff like that. I, I double majored in music in college. And... It's, it pours into that as well. I'm terrified of failure. I'm terrified that people will notice the imperfections of things. And so, I mean, I quit music for 13 years because I was so afraid. I would pick apart every single thing I did and be like, this isn't good enough. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's spilled into many parts of my life, not just, you know, physical. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of going back to talking about America's Next Top Model. I think most people got to know you from the Tyra Banks, America's Next Top Model. So I guess that this kind of leads into, this is obviously something you're really passionate about. You went into this this whole process, even while having all of that going on in your brain. So what was that experience like? I mean, that's almost seems like what you're saying, but on steroids. So yeah. you just give us a little insight of like what it was like, the situation with the weave and things like that. Like, how was it and, and how did it affect you? So funnily enough, I was actually too afraid to audition for a top model because I thought I wouldn't make it. Really, I literally did not have the confidence to try out. But they contacted me after seeing some photos of me online and said, hi, would you like to come to a private audition in Nashville? And I was like, oh, Okay wow, I actually have something. Cause I was like, I'm not going to audition for this and then them say no. And then I'm going to cry forever and, and feel like yeah. crap. But I already knew I couldn't take it. And then, but then they contacted me and I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Maybe I, maybe I have a shot at this. So my dad drove me and, and I tried out and that gave me a boost of confidence for sure. There are some things that do make you feel nice. And I watched a show every week with my mom for years. I was obsessed with it. So to get that chance, I was so excited. And then going on the show, it did give me a boost of confidence being like, wow, you're good enough to be on this show. Then slowly, I kind of realized that they were just kind of found people who are good for TV and somewhat good models. So then they can just provoke you constantly. But can you expand on that? Like, what exactly do you mean by that? So you can find tons of girls who can take a great picture, but who are not dramatic or who aren't going to talk crap in, in an interview or, you know, this or that, like me, they, they find people who have less of a filter and who are more open 
and maybe complain or, or, you know, this or that, whatever. You said less of a filter, the the Zoom went, you said less of a filter. Less of a filter, (laughs) yeah. So I really have no filter. I talk about whatever and word vomit. Which is why we love you and why we have you on here. Because that's, (laughs) Uh you're with your people. (laughs) The people, what they want. Y'all get me, give them what they want. Oh, absurdity. But yeah, so I think they, they pick, people who they know will be good for TV. They'll put people in. I mean, they're very strategic about the way that they cast it. And very you men- yeah, you mentioned like they provoke you. Like what, yes. what, in so, what ways? Oh, well, that, well, that weave, that damn weave was a The weave problem. alone. <laughs> the weave alone. They knew that that was Can you explain guarded. for people who didn't know that that episode, what they did to you? Okay, so the makeover episode obviously happens every cycle of Top Model. They do a makeover and usually one girl, they do something crazy. They chop all her hair off. They do something and she cries. And there's always the one dramatic moment. And of course, I was a dramatic moment. They took us to the salon, but had a woman. They found this woman. I don't know where they found her, like randomly off. I don't know. She was not from the salon. They had her and her 12-year-old granddaughter installing my weave and doing like braiding my hair and then sewing the whatever into my head. I don't know. Um, and it looked so bad. The owner of the salon was like, what is this? Oh, this is terrible. Oh, like a French guy, you know, he, he was yeah. embarrassed. And so I looked absolutely insane. Like ramen noodle head, terrible oh my gosh. people magazine, top 10 worst makeups of top model history. And then they just filmed me bitching about it. Did it like, wasn't it like coming out? It's and, and it was like, I, it, like so it they your left, scalp and stuff. They left like an inch of my hair out to try and blend it and then i had an allergic reaction i had sores oh yeah oh, there it is oh Look yeah at that. no i <laughs> we will post the so picture bad. on our synthetic hair it wasn't oh real God. hair I'm i had an allergic reaction and i had to no. antibiotics are you serious i had sores on the back of my neck i had to go to the doctor they took me to the doctor did they and not like was that not like it, immediately they're like let's get this off of her no. head I had to threaten. I got a pair of scissors. I went into the confessional. They didn't show this. I went into the confessional room and I was like, I see what y'all are doing. Oh my you don't gosh. come down here in five minutes. I'm cutting this shit off. If you don't so come down, wa- I got and they're scissors. watching. They watch. They, oh, they yeah, watch they the confessional. Because I have like a million questions about this whole entire thing. Like I was like watching. I was like, when do you do the confessionals? When does that happen? But like you straight up are taught. They're watching your confessionals. Oh, yeah. So- we, they had cameras in the corner of the room were most censored at night. So if you got yeah. up to do something, then people would come in with the camera to follow you. So they, they were always watching. The gag is the picture you took after that weave looks amazing. They photoshopped. I okay. feel like there's no way it looked that good. I mean, well, this picture. Had though, I tried fans. Thank you. This picture oh. is like amazing. You know, they, they put two socks in each side of my bra there, and I still. <laughs> oh still my look. goodness! Yeah, so, there's like, like boob. So with the and so with the mm. weave thing though, they ended up then they finally like they fixed it. They took it out and then they put it back in using Tyra's special weave specialist. The same exact hair. They, oh they took God. it out and put the same hair the back one in. One you're allergic to that you're yes. on antibiotics for. I can't yes. with this. And then, so you're literally <laughs> suffering like health-wise. And oh yeah. And have you like signed away any rights yes. to like oh, say yeah. anything I signed about it? Like oh my a God. Seven page contract book. So yeah. did everyone in my family. But all of your NDAs have sort of run out at this point. So that's why all the models oh, are yeah. talking now. That's why oh, yeah. everybody's allowed to talk. Now. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm glad we got Yeah. Well, it's, it's incredible to be able to get kind of an inside view of yeah. this because when you're watching it, yeah, it does seem like they are always critiquing, always telling you like, you, you know, you're basically, we like you in person, but this picture sucks. Like there's one girl on there that they, they just like, we just can't seem to get you like, you look old in your pictures. Nicole. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, and, and it was like, what is she supposed to do? And also she didn't look old in her pictures. And so it's like, do you feel like their assessments are accurate or they're more for entertainment value? I think it's more, they realized she was not very reactive. Yeah. And so they're like, all right, let's pick some not so great photos. She had worked more than all of us, except for Kasha, the plus size model. They had worked the most. They had both been in multiple magazines. Kasha was in 17 magazines, a bunch, Teen Vogue, a bunch of stuff. And so Nicole had modeled a ton. And then they just found these like crappy photos. It's like, I know for a fact there's a better photo. I just, I know for, there's no way there wasn't. So I think they use that along with, you know, oh, are they, are they going to be good enough TV? You know, are people going to really want to tune in for something dramatic next week? Okay, let's kick her off. Let's give her this photo. So, so yeah, like they, that's my, always my question. Like, but this is the mm -hmm. best photo. And I'm like, come on, like y'all have cameras everywhere and you've got I yeah. want to see. see the rest of the photos. Show me the photos because I, yeah, you can kind of sense with it that it's, that there is that entertainment rigging. factor. Rigging. Yeah. yeah if you will. You but, don't want to, but like, yeah, you can, and especially looking back on it, it's like, really? I thought well, this was all real. Yeah. I mean, like it's the scene where y'all are <laughs> have to walk across a pool on oh. a clear glass thing. Todd was telling me um, about your experience that. with that, but I watched it yesterday and you're in a giant ball, like a hamster ball. Hamster ball, yes. Which is like, okay, let's just throw every possible scenario here that really wouldn't ever happen ever. in the world no. ever. Because it's like, yeah, you might end up walking across a glass pool at some point in sure, your modeling maybe. career, but you would not be in a, a hamster ball. So like, how did they justify that when they're like asking y'all to do these things? Oh, they didn't, they didn't justify it. They're just like, oh, here's this, you're doing this. And we were like, oh, okay, wow. But you watch the show and you're like, you're used to them doing some kind of crazy challenge or photo shoot each season. But yeah, there's just the pendulum. There's one where they swing pendulums and they like knock girls off the runway. I am fairly certain they timed those to like hit them specifically. I just, so what they did for us is they had, I heard, they had one of the assistants walk the runway in a bubble to see how hard it was. And when it wasn't difficult enough, they sprayed Crisco or, or some oil on the runway to make it more slippery. And so we walked one full runway through and they were like y'all didn't walk fast enough we're gonna do that again trying to make us because no one fell so we did it again faster and then two girls fell and that's that's what they used to air and does does everybody else that's sitting there because it's in front of like a bunch like an audience that they have are they all in on that like do they see them well they obviously no i think that's like before anyone gets there when they're prepping yeah i I don't not that i know of I'm just trying um, to figure out how far that, like how far this all goes, you know, the, the conspiracy like production <laughs> assistant kind of doing it beforehand when they're literally setting up the scene and everything. And then the people come in and sit and they're just kind of 
you know, some of them were like famous people, obviously. And then some were just random people that yeah. they, they allowed to come watch. But I don't think they were there during the rigging. Of I'm, I'm sorry. I keep uh, just one more and I'm, I'll let Todd talk for a second. I'm just like <laughs> so blown away by this. So a lot of the shots when y'all are like reading Tyra's Tyra mail or whatever, mm-hmm. like there's some girls that are like draped all over each other. Like we're best friends. Like, is that real? Like what? Part that, of it? Yeah, they didn't make. Well, in my cycle, at least. What cycle were you, Molly? 16. 16. They didn't have us do anything fake like that. And yeah. I, you know, anything that was kind of in the house, we were all, we all got very excited. I mean, you're on like, you're so overstimulated and overwhelmed and, and excited for anything that happens. You're not allowed to talk to people at home, really. We only got like three minutes to talk to our parents each week. We had to split a small block of time in between the amount of girls. And when it starts out with 14 girls, they only gave us like, an hour to talk to our family members or something. And so then like you have to spend 30 seconds of that, a minute of that, trying to call them waiting. If they don't answer, you oh to call them out. So we, we barely got to speak to anyone. So we're all just have no one except for these girls. So, you know, we did get sort of close and even Alexandria girl, we had all the issues with on the show. We had great times as well. They just didn't show that. So that part I think is real. It's more like, they'll have you refilm the runway that we did. We filmed the finale runway twice after Brittany mm. fell because they were trying to make her like, I think get video of her limping or something. So it's more that like the refilming of things they had us, they would, if they didn't have the camera on us, as we saw the tire mail, they'd be like, Oh, okay. Pretend you saw the tire mail again. Mm-hmm. And then they'd put the camera on. You'd be like, Oh, Tyra nail, but I was really bad at it, so they never had me do it. I was so you did want you did one like, you did Whoa. the second episode. You actually were because I think I actually because I I think I actually saw that while the camera oh. was on. Okay, it was a real oh. but if they weren't looking at you and someone sees it, then they refilm that because they want to get a reaction. Oh so it's little things like that they change yeah. the order of interviews. So if you bitch about someone one week and then you mm-hmm. make up with them the next week. They'll post you talking crap about them a week I've after. I've always that wondered like, that. Oh mm-hmm. my god! You see us all wear the same tank top. I wear like a maroon tank top yeah. and everything yeah. to try and yeah. make it look like the same week. But then I have that weave in, so you can't cover that. You know, yeah. you can kind of tell when things are done. But they they make you wear the same shirt so they can. Okay, so I was wondering like, if maybe they ask you to like talk about it, like you know, at one point six weeks later or if they ask you right in the moment but it's like after a while you started to notice no, they're wearing the same thing yeah but they're definitely not the same like mood so that makes sense they kind of just take it all yeah. and chop it up and put it in whatever order that works for and you'll they'll have like every two or three days they will do a really long interview where you wear that shirt same shirt but They found very quickly that I am a hangry, angry brat. And so they were like, ooh, let's make Molly go last. Let's make it right after, you know, she's like said she's hungry. And then let's put her in her room and be like, we'll feed you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right after this interview, Molly. Basically dangling food in front of my face saying, if you finish this interview, we'll feed you. So then they poke and prod me with these like, provoking questions you know and you're already angry <laughs> and i'm angry and then i have to answer they'll be like molly how mad were you when this happened and i can't say so mad i have to say i was so mad when this happened because like in a full sentence so it doesn't sound like i'm answering yeah. 
so then I just look like I'm completely ranting yeah. about all these things <laughs> while hangry. And it's just like, oh, oh so they, they just, Oof. I know mm-hmm. editing. I mean, it's like, I've got it aware. down to an art. Yeah, they, I mean, I'm very aware as far as like Southern Charmed and and all oh, that well. stuff goes. Like, you know, they've, they've done some filming at the Beer Garden, and it's like it takes away the magic once you see it because you're just like, yeah, oh, okay. So they just keep filming him coming up and, and like high fiving our bartender like over and over and yeah. over. Yeah, like, that oh. is a little more staged than Top Model, I will say, because I've seen some of that a little, but still, I mean. They yeah. just, they, it's more in the post-production that they like to stage yeah. things. Well, Molly, you, you worked with Bravo too. You did an episode of Below Decks. Was that sort of yeah. staged as well? More so? Or do you think it was more? A little more so. But it's it's kind of just like, I think with Southern Charm, they'll kind of be like, okay, well, why don't y'all go and sit down and talk about this specifically? Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, okay, well, hey, you know, what's happening with your this and that? Where Below Deck, I think they just, they follow you around and they'll, I think it's because I was a guest on it. I guess maybe I wasn't, I didn't see as much of the inner workings of it, but it wasn't too staged. I think it was just, so there are some hammered. Oh yeah. There you go. That's the tactic. Yeah. That's the tactic. Get everyone. That's the real world. I think. Yeah. Thank God I didn't drink on top. Getting back to top model. Do you think that Ty, well, I know you're still in contact with Nigel, yeah. You guys still have a great relationship. And I actually yeah, ran into too. That's awesome. Miss J. Mrs. J. Miss J. Yes. Mr. J. Uh, Miss J. Miss J. I met ran into um him, her, they. I don't know what, what they, he's going I'm, by. They um, are they. going going by now, but at a party and asked him about you. This was like maybe a few years after after it had happened in New York. And he was like, I love Molly. I love Aww. Molly. He went goo gaga over you. But let's let's go yeah. to the host. Do you think that she actually cares about no. her her girl her girls? <laughs> or do you think that she's she's a more of a businesswoman at the end of the day and she cares when it's necessary? I mean, do you did you feel that she was while you were filming, did you feel she was a genuine okay? All right. Yeah. I can I can eat it. Two words into that question. I was like, I know the answer. Um, yeah, it's completely, she cares when it's better for her. Okay. She did not, I didn't speak to her after filming until Mr. J started doing the interviews that were spilling tea about the show. And that's when she commented on one of my photos, literally a decade later. Wow. So oh. glad to see, she commented on a photo of mine. So glad to see you're still modeling heart, heart or something. I, she literally has not contacted me. We, we, Mr. J. Mr. J. J. So there's Miss J is the That's runway. Right. And then Mr. J with like the silver Ms. hair. Miss J is who I is the one you spoke. Yeah. Yes. And then Mr. Mr. J. J runs the photo shoots. He's kind of the creative director. Right. And so he came out and started like talking about it. He wrote a he book. Wrote a book. <gasps> I didn't know this. But yeah. no one's name. It's all. Yeah, he said it's like, like a no, it's a novel kind of a la Devil Wears like, Prada. And then Lyra yeah. was like, um, yeah, basically, and, and he then... talks about a girl going on a shooting on a camel, and I'm like, he talks about me, That's but me. my name's just me, it's me. So I think she saw that. Oh, oh, I might be getting some bad publicity about this. Maybe I should go in and say hi to some of the girls. I really think it was truly for that reason. She's never spoken to me otherwise. She speaks to some of the bigger models who have gotten really famous after the show, like Winnie Harlow. Yes, the meltdown. Yes, it's called the meltdown. Oh, it, it keeps going in and out because of your blur, but he's holding Todd's holding up a picture. Yeah. Of, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 
It's called yeah. The Meltdown. It literally. The meltdown. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. A novel by Jay Manuel. The devil yeah. also wears cheap shoes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. then yep. she yep. found like yep. damage oh, control. Okay, y'all, I got to say this. So. It, the, the title, it says The Wig, <laughs> The Bitch, and The Meltdown. I mean. Oh, my God. Come on. Come wow. on. It sounds like he's, like he's. Have you read the book, Molly? Because this is yes. like. It's yes. And he, he, he just. It, it's great. It's great. There's so that. much stuff in there. You're like, oh, wow. Okay. Mm, so nice to Miss Tyra or whatever he called the, the devil. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's do you think that she came back to like, like your photos? Yeah, I mean, just to be like, no, look, I am a good person. I'm not anything like that. I think it's more like, know. stop saying, please stop saying shit about don't, me. Don't talk. Don't talk. Don't, don't, like, oh, don't say not- the truth. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you know anything about me, Tyra, you know I'm gonna say whatever I want. Yeah, I kind of went and bit her in the ass. Like, let's pick people that have no filter and torture. Wait them. till their NDA and runs out. Their NDA runs out. They're gonna have no filter. Uh, there are so many girls coming out and just talking about the toxic stuff. That went on. Yeah. Like, yeah. That What's the one girl? There's, there's one girl that was is really like making a whole thing of it on Angelia. TikTok. Yes. Yeah. Oh wait, no wait, Sarah. No, no. Angelia. Uh, She's got short hair now. What is her name? Oh my god! So many girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Lisa D'Amato. Lisa yeah. D'Amato. Yes, yes. Um, she's blonde. She's, yes. Yeah. yeah. She's got a whole TikTok. Like people are following her just, and she's literally reliving what happened on the show yeah. with her, and it was extremely toxic. Really but, bad. They knew about mental health issues that she had, and, yeah. and they like they really provoked her and poked and prodded, and it was really really bad from what i've heard they know we went through like two days of psychological testing they know everything about the inner workings of our mind and they still they and then they're like oh i know this is going to bother her let's do it anyway and completely screw with her mental health so they, they did a lot to a lot of girls knowing that it would but it's it's sort of wrapped in this oh we want to find the next great model yeah, it's wrapped in After this pretty torturing bow. them. Yeah, well, it's, it's even even just that episode where they, I think it's also the second episode where they they have y'all come in and draw. Oh God, know, that and, was and then the word. And then talk to yourself about your issues, and then the next day you have to go and pose with bees, which I just so can't even imagine how that was like legally possible to put one of the girls of is allergic to bees. I know this girl is saying in her interview, like, I was scared because I'm allergic to bees. And it's like, well, t- then when well, you signed your life away, so we literally, we literally signed our lives away. It was like, if you die on set, you can't sue anyone because you signed this page. So literally she's, they probably had a, a page in there. We didn't read. They're like, pertaining bees. to bees in section a part two you know i said i'm really happy for britney but just i want to go on the record and say on the next page podcast that i i was i thought you were going to win like unbiasedly because your photos i just thought far surpassed and this is no no disrespect britney is a beautiful model but i really felt like your photos were just so electric and especially that cover girl shoot i mean that that red oh yeah I mean, it's just, it's stunning. It's really stunning. Thank and you. in the camel shoot, like you were lit. I mean, it was life. I mean, it really, yes. Yeah, so I was really kind of angry. I was mad. <laughs> I remember. I, I was, because I was, what year was that? That was 2000, the end of 2010 is when we filmed. Yeah. And I was, then it aired in 2011. 
Yeah, I was in law school. I was in my second year of law school and this, this was like my escape. And I was like so excited. I was living in, in California and I was like, this is Molly's gonna make it. And like every episode was really totally. And then I even, was like, I was there. I saw you, Molly. You were in Charleston and we were at some restaurant and they were playing it on the screen at the restaurant. God, Wildling. Yes. Is that why we went to Wildling? Yes. And they were and everybody was watching it while you were in the restaurant and people were like, Molly. What a South Carolina thing. Let's go watch my reality show at Wildly. I can't, I can't be like, that is the most ridiculous thing. I thought it was so cool. I was like, oh, I'm so famous. Ooh, let's, let's go Just celebrate at the Wild Wings. Listen, don't yeah. knock Wild Wings now. I'm I'm all about them. Like, hey, 10, I love 10 the 10. wings. 10, 10 and 10. Oh, get no, 10, 10 of this flavor. Me, 10 of this me flavor. and Ian used to get 50. Me uh, and Ian used to get 50. As you should have. I'd eat like four and he'd smash the rest. But, oh, man, I love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I can't imagine I the one that you were there. Wouldn't. I blocked it out. That's so funny because yeah. I just I can't even imagine wherever you, whichever Wild Wings it was, it, it can't be in the same place because they've all moved all over the place. But, you know, just the, just, you know, at Wild Wings, we respect you. Don't come for my Wild Wings <laughs> now. We, <laughs> that was, we had honey, honey mustard, the barbecue. That's just, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a yeah. beat. Yeah. Well, so do you feel like being on that show as a whole was a hindrance in the modeling world for you? Or has it given you somewhat of like a platform or did you feel it was the launching point? I'd say half and half on that one. A lot of the models who didn't make it to like the top four or five didn't make it overseas. They worked a lot more because their faces weren't as known for reality TV. So some people liked me on the show. Some people liked my photos and I got booked specifically because of that. They knew me from the show. Some people, I think, look at it as kind of a joke reality show. It's not real. They're just dramatic and they're not necessarily good models. So most people don't go to castings and say, I was on top model. You just, we just pretend it never happened because no one takes you seriously. Unless, you know, some of the, uh, you know, Winnie Harlow, I mean, she's got, she's really just the big one that I think about now. She's such a big model now. And, but I mean, it's kind of almost, you don't even think about top model anymore because she's made a new name for herself. Right. People just kind of look down on you as if you're not a real model. You're just like dramatic. And so it was kind TV. of a hindrance then. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of like you have I had to a few overcome people that. book me mm-hmm. and then they chopped my hair off. Oh my God. Yeah. They and the finale, I really, I thought I was. I only let them cut it because I really thought I might win. I was like, you know what? I'll use that money. I'll buy myself a wig or something. It's fine. <laughs> Top it off. I got this. I got Real this. Weird. And they're like, just kidding. Go home. You now have a bowl cut that you have to keep for seven months until the end of airing. So you can do publicity what? with the same haircut. So people don't know how much time is passed. Oh, so I had to keep that haircut for like eight months. And then no one wanted to book me modeling. I looked ridiculous. Wow. Did they give they, you anything as a runner? No. Well, that's some bullshit. I made like $1,300 throughout filming per diem money that they gave us like each day for groceries and medicine. Yeah. I left with like 800 bucks, maybe. Oh, wow. My God. And then to go out in the world and then have to prove to people that you are uh, at Legit least you got a good, you had a really great portfolio, I feel like, from that. 
at least. Oh God, those but pictures were gorgeous. They're so good. I actually watched a reel you made. By the way, I'm obsessed with your reels on on Instagram, and I'm I'm just learning about TikTok. It's it's going to be a process, but you make the funniest reels. One of them was just like every scene or picture taken throughout the the cycle, and it's like ultimately you did get a great portfolio, but it just sucks that you have to then defend yourself because you did this thing that you didn't even know was going to be that way. Yeah. And And found you. (laughs) Right. They were like, come, come do this. Wow. And then it's like, Oh no, what have I done? But even looking back on it, I'd probably do it again. I just would do it very differently. I would, but you know, if I did it differently, would I have made it so far on the show? Cause Maybe yeah. if I had more of a filter, they would have been like, mm, let's give her a crappy photo this week, send her home. So it's double-edged sword there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I understand that you went back to school. You went to yeah. GSU for bio pre-nursing, where you actually made a president or dean's list each semester, which I thought was like, whoa, yeah. smarty pants. Do you enjoy school? And do you think you'll eventually go into some type of the medical field? So I do love school. Ian used to always make fun of me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I loved going to school. school I liked reading. I loved going back to school. It made me feel really like accomplished, making such good grades. I was like, wow, look at me. Like I I went back and like setting the curve in my classes. Like this is really great. Whether or not I will go into the medical field or anything, that's still to be determined. I have one more year I need to finish and I just, just not really sure. I've started back playing music again. Nice. And I'm thinking that might—I really like—I am in at a crossroads in my life. I just Wait, playing home. music? What do you play? Yeah, oh, the miniature tuba. I the saw euphonium. a video when I'm for reels. It's on there, and it's fantastic. I honestly didn't think like Todd told me that you were a musical person and that you played instruments. And I was like, wait, well, yeah. I know Molly. I saw a, a real. Uh, we had a, we had the same voice. She's a um, yeah. vocalist. So I have always known Molly as a singer, but I didn't know you played the two. Well, and I thought, I know, I that thought was literally my main, I thought it was a joke. Like I literally, but it was so good. I that it was I, a joke. Clearly. No, I thought you like took like audio from something and then we're like, look at me playing this instrument. I didn't realize. Oh that my God. Actually. That makes me happy. So I, you know, I, you're very good. Yeah, you're very good. Thank at you. It. Oh, that was I quit for 13 years, and that was me picking it up after. Yeah, I I, I, well, I came, I moved home, and I started actually doing some mental health work and some some therapy after my first session. I realized I needed to start back music, and so I sent my instrument off after 13 years to be polished and cleaned. And then I auditioned for a band here, and now I'm playing every week. That's awesome. So, yeah, trying to figure out what makes me happy. I think with the modeling industry, how it's, I mean, you have such a short yeah, short time you can do things. I'm, I'm already like geriatric model. Uh, no. So you got to figure anybody out. Anybody could see this right now. But don't, like they have talking like, to... don't they have like young, beautiful mom and young, beautiful, like executive well, and I young, beautiful, to, you know, yeah, what I mean? I'd have like, to be the mom. I'd have to do commercial stuff and be more like mom lifestyle, which uh, I'm not a very smiley maternal looking yeah, the person being. bringing so the turkey like, to like, the table here's my baby <laughs> yeah i know uh, that I is not know. how you hold a baby by the way molly just so you know uh, exactly <laughs> see i you don't hold it like this 
Well, so kind of like uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, though, you obviously you're in it. We talked about you're a big advocate for mental health. So what do you do to kind of take care of yourself and your own mental health? And and do you feel that you've kind of moved through all of the trauma of the show of the of the aftermath of the show? Like, where do you kind of see yourself right now? I think there's definitely still some trauma there. I think I've, I've moved past most of it. It's, I'm sure there's some stuff I don't really realize still affects me. I, I still sometimes have nightmares that I'll be on the top model runway and like my legs won't work or yeah. like I'll fall over or I, it just stupid stuff like that, where it's like, really, we're still having these dreams. Okay. Something's, something's still there. But as far as mental health work, I've been in therapy since I was like 12, you know, just depression, anxiety, anger issues and stuff. And I have like treatment resistant depression, some OCD anxiety issues. And so I actually uh, moved home to do ketamine infusions um, Mm. at the ketamine center here. And what is that ketamine? Can you explain that for our listeners? So it's similar to how they use uh, psilocybin, like micro dosing of mushrooms for PTSD depression and all these things. Ketamine is not psilocybin based, but in a different way helps those same issues. It's, I can't explain it as well. Yeah. No, I know what you're put. T- Yeah. Um, I, so I go in and I get microdosing. Yeah. So yeah, the ketamine infusions, I go and it's like an IV. I basically go and kind of trip a little bit in a medical setting And I don't know, it's just really been helpful. I'm not sure how exactly, like I don't really go and work through trauma necessarily while I'm in there, but something about it changes the brain chemistry, something I've become way less, more impulsive. I cry a lot less. I mean, I am a lot less anxious. I've actually been able to go down on my dosage of anxiety meds by like 80%. And you said your road Um, rage is pretty much gone. Yeah, so I actually almost got arrested for road rage one time. My dad had to talk the cops out of literally. They came to my house, so it was an issue, and I it's almost non-existent now. That's it's, amazing. It's crazy. It just helps, like impulsivity, and and so and I did a lot of impulsive things when I was upset that would then just were bad for my life. You know, I'd screw my life up when I was upset and do something crazy. So it really helps with that cycle of just bad behavior and no coping skills you know i'm at a place where i can learn more coping skills now how did you find out about this treatment lisa lisa d'amato from top Mm. model did hers in la and i asked her about it and she i was like really scared to try it i was like oh no am i gonna trip out and freak out and like something bad will happen and she's like it's i promise you it's not what you think it's gonna be and i went and i tried it and i haven't back i it's been life-changing. Well, we might That's need amazing. to talk about that personally, you and I, after this, because yeah. I suffer with in yeah. generalized anxiety disorder. And, you know, it's it, you can take medication, you can go to therapy, but it still is so intense and strong that, like, I, something like that could be, like, life-changing for, obviously, yeah. you, but possibly me and lots is, of other people. Is it there. immediate? Or is it like, do you have to go and do several treatments? So I had to do a bunch of treatments. They pack them into like, you do like 
four or five treatments, I think, to figure out what dosage you need to be on. Like they started a low dose and then by the end of that treatment, whatever dosage you were on at the end, they start with that and they go up just to figure out where you need to be. And then once you get there um, on that baseline dose, you will go less and less. And then you, they give you some medicine to take in between. Like I don't, I don't go every day to do an infusion. I go once a month now, but I started out, I did like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And then the next week I did less and less and just until it, um, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's amazing. I have another friend who just started them and she's so happy with it literally like a week ago. So it's it's new and awesome. That's amazing. I do want to shift gears here for a second, Molly. You are very passionate about something called the Trevor Project. And for those listeners who don't, who's never heard of it, the Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ young people. Molly, why is this such a, um, you, you've done a fun, you just did a fundraiser for them, right? Recently? Um, yeah, over the pandemic, I was doing some uh, working out in my house a lot. And so I would do little workout and raisers and um, live workouts and I was like you know all proceeds go to this and I did a few different um fundraisers that I I did for and I just really I love the Trevor Project I love what they stand for I have so many friends in the LGBTQ community um and it's just I mean mental health is is such a big issue you know I I have so many issues with it I can't imagine being you know in this group of people that everyone just kind of treats differently and like I don't know it's just it's I can't imagine if I have all these issues and I'm you know white straight woman whatever I can't imagine all of the other people it's just it's so screwed up we all deserve a chance at being happy mm-hmm. yeah and you know to love who we love and to be who we are and it's just disgusting that and it's, some people can't right it's, want it's to fight for that yeah it's so it's so helpful to have those lines you know I called um when I was a, when I was just to share with you both I when I was a young kid I I called um uh I don't remember if it was the Trevor Project it was some crisis hotline for gay kids um because you know back in the you know this was in the 90s and um it was just a very uh it, it, it talked me off the ledge several times because there were really? multiple times that I wanted to that I wanted to end it all because you just think you're dis especially back in the '90s you just felt like you were disappointing. I mean, my only outlet was Danny on the Real World, you know. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was it, you know. And so we we didn't really have it wasn't so you know we remember we didn't have social media we didn't have um, all these outlets we didn't have there were children that. Um, that were literally like, uh, you know, there are children now that are coming out loud and proud on social media at seven, eight, nine years old and being like, yes, I am, I am myself. And, but we, that just wasn't an option for, for a gay kid in South, in, in South Carolina back then who was heavily involved in the church. That's actually Molly and I went to the same church. And yeah. uh, it's just, you know, you it, the fact that you are still so passionate about this, it does save lives. It does give it does. a kid a, a perspective to look out, to, to be able to, if they can't find it in their friends or their family, you support, there is someone on the other line 
that, um, you know, I had a friend who was actually a call uh, in the call center for the travel Trevor project and has, you know, time and time again, talked kids out of killing themselves because when you're have all those hormones running through you, when you're, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, and you feel like everything about you is bad. You're a bad person mm-hmm. because of who you who you want to love and what you're Especially attracted to. Especially with the church to. background. I mean, exactly. Like, exactly. You're getting it from every direction. Yeah. And so you feel like Ooh, yeah, even if you end it, it'll be better than feeling this pain now. Because if you go to hell, that'll just be, you know, you'll be around other gay people. <laughs> I mean, well, the, the, in a weird way, it's kind of like, well, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because exactly. either you, you know, kill yourself and then you're going to hell or you um, keep it going and you're going to hell because you're gay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just can't I imagine being crisis. in that position. Oh, really? I've called a crisis hotline once. Yeah. Uh, just a suicide prevention hotline. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just so important to have. And, and I have I have such a big support system. I have my family. I have, you know, my friends. Um, and that doesn't always matter. Sometimes mm-hmm. you still need that other person, that voice, that stranger, um, in a time of need. And it's just, you know, these young people who are, you know, just don't have an outlet, don't have anyone to speak to and are just full. I mean, the church, God, the church, the church. Is so, listen, I, I, I'm still, I don't know how you are, Molly, but it's, it's, it's still, you know, when I said Molly and I, we were at church all the time. We were, oh, I, yeah. mean, I always saw you. We were always, you know, there was like youth group and choir and, and EYC. every Sunday EYC, there was all these, uh, you know, church ski trips. There were, there was just a constant, constant church involvement. And to be honest, the, my, my chill crew, you know, core group of friends is from that church. And I don't, yeah know if all of them are still as active in the in that church is this southern, is this southern baptist or what was no it? this was actually we all um is, so i was raised southern baptist and then switched to um because all my friends were at grace episcopal downtown yeah and uh, i wanted to um my mom and i wanted to try that out and so we ended up falling in love with the, that church um but it's uh it's it, it was it was a great social yeah and um, i mean i feel like it, it, of all the the religious sex and Sect, not you know. I'm trying to be a religious sex. Um, no, that they, of all of them, Episcopalians, you know, it's, it's generally more accepting, and you generally. still get that yeah. feeling. Generally, so imagine, I mean, they're, yeah. they're still they're still yeah. split fifty fifty to this to this yeah. day mm-hmm. on the on the gay marriage oh, yeah. issue on the gun gay. Elite, oh, I mean, my mom, not, when my mom left. Yeah, I know. Really was like, she was a deacon, wasn't she? Or something. She was like really high up in the. She was on the vestry. She did a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. she did a lot of stuff at church for decades and then she mm-hmm. was like y'all are gross screw you yeah so my mom is i mean you know i i've got the two best parents who have who have always told me like everyone should be allowed to be themselves and love who they love and and screw what this church stuff says it's like just live your life and be happy and if you're not hurting anyone yeah, I think I, I, I can speak for Laura uh, when I say that your parents are like you got you. You hit the jackpot, Molly. I mean, they oh, are I truly, like, yes, I yes, truly am. Um, well, they're, they're both just such smart and oh like God. they're just so smart and also very, um, yeah, like accepting. Like I could just tell just meeting them in general, like it, it, it uh, they were they were more fascinated in hearing what I wanted to like had to say than like 
trying to pass judgment or be like, what's your, you know, they're just genuine people. So yeah. I, I get what you're kind of minded and yeah. And so with I get that what you're <laughs> I would never want to go up against Anne and or Michael in court. Oh, no, they're oh, no, no, no thank mom you. Is a scary, scary woman. She doesn't lose a case. She doesn't. She doesn't lose. She just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. She just they doesn't don't mess around. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we have a palate cleanser, Laura. You want to? Yeah. So after all of that, um, you know, very deep stuff, and, and we really thank you so much for being so open and and yeah. vulnerable with us. Um, it's absolutely been. I don't know, eye-opening. I definitely am going to go check out some ketamine. But, you know, uh, before we say goodbye and give you your afternoon back, we have a tradition on the show to ask a question of the day. And our question of the day today is, in a perfect world, what would be your dream job? Huh. Oh, man. Netflix watcher. <laughs> that is a good answer. Actually, I'm really kind of not joking. <laughs> oh man, if I could get paid to veg out in my bed and do nothing, I fully would. Molly, um, that job, those jobs exist. Do I they? know, I know. I'll do it. I'll do it. Do you want to get paid to like 4,000 hours of Netflix? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, Netflix watch. I think, know this was an option. I would have chosen that too. Right? That no, it's best a thing. I'll make sure this isn't dying. Um, keep having to replug this in. So yeah, um, I started out really wanting to work with animals. And then I realized how sad it is when yeah, you have to put animals yeah. down. So I, I nixed that pretty quickly. I think, honestly, it might be something with music. I just don't know if I could make enough money doing music. With, you know, who, I play the miniature tuba. Everyone's like, what? What is that? You know, how am I going to make a ton of money doing that? Um, but I would love to just play music and you know, if I could model part-time until I, however long, that would be amazing too. I do still love modeling, um, even though the industry can be uh, pretty toxic, but I think music, it just, I've found it, I forgot how much joy it brought me mm-hmm. until I listened to classical music during my first ketamine infusion. And I was like, what have I done? Why did I quit doing this? So I think it's so important to keep doing those things that bring you joy. And, um, even if you haven't in a long time, you know, you can go back to it. I mean, it's 13 years that I quit and I went back to it and it's been really nice. I think maybe music derail from model. No, I mean, that's just wonderful. The, you know, I, and I was thinking, you know, just if you're honestly, I, I, I do feel like the professional Netflix watcher it would be pretty amazing, especially while yeah. you're getting a ketamine infusion. But I you know, think it's I think it's wonderful that you've kind of like you've worked on yourself and you've reflected yeah. on that. And that because Still. of that, you've got. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us can say we're fixed. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, but I think that's awesome that you, you've gotten back into it. And I think the miniature tuba sounds awesome because that's like, like way less heavy. Than a real tuba. I mean, I don't even know what these people with whole tubas are doing. That one's right. Really They're look. insane. The whole tuba? Molly, one. can you grab your instrument and just play us a little scale? Oh my gosh, it's happening. <laughs> with my phone, oh my, my oh. computer dies. I am done. Oh no. I'm this so excited so right bad. now. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> Where's my mouthpiece? <laughs> This is hilarious. It's gonna be bad. Oh I God. haven't warmed up. I'm very excited. No, so you care. think mini, but it's See, still that. huge. That is, but that that's is, still so much more like 
reasonable to me. Okay. Oh my. It's really hard to do while standing. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Even though it's miniature. It is quite large. I know, even it's miniature. I mean, the other ones are literally like a foot tall. Oh yeah, they wrap like around your body. So like That's a sousaphone. Oh, well, there you go. You know more about music than There's I do. something new every day. Yeah. Oh, Thank you for was... playing that for us. I know. That, that You're made welcome. I couldn't wait. Just made me so happy. Yeah, one more. <laughs> one, Just one more. What song is that? The fact it's a clean, clean. It just makes everything better. I know, I know right? Put a little tuba on it. <laughs> Throw a little tuba on it. Everybody listening, go go put a little tuba on it. <laughs> yeah, go put some tuba on it. Check out Molly on Instagram, on um, you know, any TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> TikTok, reels, all the things. Yes, and I will I can vouch that the reels are worth it. <laughs> I love the way you pair up everything, the audio to like serious modeling like videos. It's so good. Todd, you get you just have to go I'm gonna watch it. It yeah. It takes me a long time. I feel old, but I try. <laughs> and and uh, you know, obviously she on cycle sixteen of America's Next Top Model, if you want to go check that out. It you know, now you can see it through a different lens. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, maybe you would Completely have before. Different. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love you guys. Delightful. You too. Well, have a wonderful afternoon. And we Talk hope to soon. have you back at some point. Right. Talk to okay. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, wow, Todd. She's so great. I'm obsessed with her. I mean, I have been. Before what's she's so unfiltered and it's magical yeah. to hear like somebody speak so candidly. And I think that we could have gone on any number of tangents from all of that. And we, I think honestly, we had just to kind of get the other stuff to get to all the other things. Like we, we kind of move it along on some yeah. things that I think we could have talked for hours about. Oh my God. And, I mean, her, her experience in the modeling industry and what what that what that photographer did to her and and just the the trauma that that causes and that show going through that that hamster wheel that they you know, oh my gosh yes the the bubble she, yeah. she she referred to it as they did in the show as the bubble but I just like all I could think was like these poor girls are in a freaking hamster wheel yeah going over water like there was still a layer of water over the platform and then. And also, oh, we didn't even talk about this inside of that there. They put flowers in it. So there's like flowers going around in the ball with you while you're doing while it. Trying to walk on a on a slippery one runway yes. in, a, in a in a bubble. And and I and Molly, you know, she she kept her. She did. She did a she good walked. job she in that. It. She definitely did not. I mean, there are some sad or uh, one girl. But what if a girl breaks her leg or something? That's what my TV? thoughts were. Like, it was like liability. But I guess they sign away their lives. They sign away their lives, yeah. Which is nuts, which actually, I'm not sure you can actually do, but I think that the fear around Tyra and, you know, the whole, having this whole big industry, you know, are you going to really take them on? And listen, that was a a decade, I mean, or over a decade ago, it was 12 years ago. So like the climate was very different 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. A lot has changed. A lot of... uh, 
there's a lot more outspoken energy. What, like we talked on the show about the Me Too movement and the collective like trauma it. that we've all been through with this friggin' pandemic. Well, I think that she like made a good point as well as kind of like she brought up the Abercrombie and Fitch thing. Like, where she's like well, now yeah. well, she, well, she was just saying it like, well, now it's more inclusive because of people. But in a way, she kind of alluded to it, too. It's like, I don't really know if that's just to do it to save face or if it's real, which we've talked about on this podcast, like a lot about does it really matter? Let's just like do it to get it out there. And that's great. I mean, obviously now, too, we've got Dove commercials and stuff that have, you know, I'd say more than a very big range of different looks, different styles, sizes, but it it still seems from her perspective, getting her perspective that it really hasn't in, in like a big way changed at all. Or the fact that Tyra, you know, not, I don't know you Tyra, and I'm sure you're probably never going to hear this, but I just, you know, like take a look in the mirror at yourself to put people through that. These are humans. In her mind, I'm sure she's thinking, I'm giving these girls a platform. I am giving them the, some of them the start of their career. They're getting exposure. I can see why as a businesswoman, she would think she would be helping the modeling girls. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, she was the executive producer on that show. And she can say, yeah, yeah. we're not doing that to these girls. You're, you're mm-hmm. And maybe she did. Maybe along the way, there were some other outlandish things. That she was like, that's not happening. We don't know all yeah. that stuff. But as you we know? talked about after we were, we finished recording, we stayed on with Molly for a little bit and she was talking about that episode I talked about where they, they pretended to reject a group of, of those girls. And she yep. was in that group. There was another group of girls that were given envelopes telling them that they had made it. And then they were put in a room and told, just kidding, you didn't make it. The other people were the ones that made it. So that's like double, I feel like quadruple emotional trauma there. That's so hurtful. I know. It just seems mean to me. It's mean spirited. It's mean spirited. It's unnecessary. Like I was like, they could have just told y'all psych or whatever, like or you you didn't make it and left the other girls out of it. You know, I'm just making a correlation. You know, the modeling industry is sort of notoriously catty. You Mm -hmm. know, you got a lot of very intense designers who are very, very unapologetic about their their beauty standard and what they require. I've seen along the years, like people that are in that industry talk about models and it is like, they are just like Molly said, pieces of meat, just, just, just like, oh, she's too thin. Oh, she's too this. They know what they want in their mind of what their perfect runway model is going to be. Um, Which is kind of insane if you think about it, because like if your purpose is for people to go out and wear what you're designing, then not every person's going to look like that person. I don't I just I agree with you. Seems insane to me. I I, I do in a weird way. I mean, like a totally very minimal, not even close to what Molly has been through situation. But in a weird way, like trying to find dresses for Dancing with the Stars has been its own interesting journey because all of the dresses are made for like, you know, I'll find a dress and be like, oh, that's perfect. And it's like, okay, yeah, we have it in sizes zero and two and you have to be a B cup. And it's like, okay, I get it. Lots of dancers are thin, but to just rule out like an entire, you know, like eight different sizes is ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, I think when, 
the fashion industry catches up with the real humans that they're trying to build clothes, <laughs> clothes for, I yeah. think that they will realize that there is, a, and some designers have like branched out into plus size and, and big and tall and all that stuff because, you know, Torrid, I f- freaking love me some Torrid. Torrid I just is- tell you girls out there, if you are like a 10, 12, just stop, stop going to the other stores, go to Torrid because you will not only feel like, I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> support this kind of thinking, but like, you will not only feel like the smallest person (laughs) out of the skinniest person ever, (laughs) but they make clothes that are for people. Like they have body parts. Like that's the thing I think so messed up. It's like people are making clothes for like a human that does not have, or does not have a butt. And it's like, that is a part that's it's anatomy. I'm sorry, guys. If you want that, you put it on men. Right, exactly. And specifically for Molly, you know, hearing her body image issues. And I mean, I think she's just so stunning. And it's just like, uh, yeah. it's so interesting seeing someone with that kind of objective physical beauty mm-hmm. and and them not feel internally, I am gorgeous. I am worthy of my picture being shot from all these magazines. And it sounds like it's a mind, you know what, constantly yeah. because, you know, you look at Molly and you're like, wow, because she's just got a great life but if every time she goes to a casting or to a shoot she's dealing with these triggers it's like at what point is modeling is modeling still fun that's why i was like i know Uh, she's passionate about what she does she's very passionate about yeah we want everybody to be to know that she still very much loves modeling yes it's just the The stuff you have to deal with to do it is what's messed up and it's and it's changeable Right. That's what's like, I think, so frustrating. And as her confidence grows, I think that's why she's saying she's trying, she's starting to be her own advocate in the room and say, you know, you know, don't talk to me like that or don't grab my breast. Don't like grab my boob. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's uh, what she's been through is pretty, it's remarkable. And, you know, I think she's got still many, many years of modeling ahead of her. And I think um, she has so much of a, I mean, we heard her miniature tuba. I mean, come on. The miniature tuba gave me life. I mean, I literally, I don't know if any guest, I, I love all of our guests and I know I will love all our guests in the future, but that is a moment that will be a top, <laughs> top moment of my life. Cause I did not expect her. She didn't even have it like right next to her. It's not like we, we didn't prep this. We didn't well, ask. I mean, you it. see this five eleven gorgeous model and you're like, you have a tuba. You're blowing. Yeah. You're you're blo- you're blowing into a, a miniature tuba. What is happening? <laughs> what is happening? It's very hard to process. And, and I it's, took and a, it's good playing. So you're it like, is. what? <laughs> a lot of things. I actually did. I took some screenshots, so I'll oh, be good. posting those to our social, so y'all can see it and see how gorgeous she is. And yeah. in whatever form, I mean, it, it. She's nothing close to being too large in any shape or fashion. So that in itself pissed me off, but she's also just like a great human, like a great human being and so funny. And I think we really saw like more of her serious kind of side today. Well, she's grown up a lot since that show. It's, but it's, I'm telling you, if you go look at her reels, she is the funniest person <laughs> in the world. She is just witty and and dry, but in a great way. So it's like, you know, we got deep today and I'm so grateful for that. But she is very real. She's a real person, yeah. like a very like, you know, like we said that one day or before we even started this, we were debating what our kind of tagline or whatever would be. And our first instinct was real shit with real people. 
And I'm very Molly sorry to your mother that. for all the cursing that I've done in this episode. <laughs> please tell Duchess I'm sorry, but Duchess, please still love me. But she was a re- she's a real person. And we talked about a lot of real stuff. And I'm very yeah. grateful for that. And, so I and guess- she probably helped, you know, some young girls that are, if, if they listen to this moms, if you're out here listening to this, your daughter wants to go into modeling, play them this episode because she said what's really going on in the industry and they need to be prepared going out there that you don't want them going out blindly. They need to know how to stand up for themselves and handle themselves in, in a yeah. professional situation like that. But anyway, we are really, really grateful to Molly O'Connell. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Yes. Love you so much, Molly. Thank you. And I guess it's now our turn to ask question of the day. So I will ask you first, Todd, in okay. a perfect world, what would be your dream job? I have two. Okay. So of course, of course I do. <laughs> I have, I, we talked about this before. We both kind of have our dream jobs. We kind of do what we want to do in this mm-hmm. life because we have only one life. And I love being an actor and a performer and a producer, but I would love to be like an agent or a manager. I think mm-hmm. I would, I think I would really fight for my clients. I think I would get them in the rooms that they need to be in. And I would, I think I would make giant careers happen because I, there's so many people that are, are my friends that I know kill it. So it's just like, I want, I would want to get behind them and and push them into the limelight. That would really be something that would, that would fulfill me. And then I guess the second, the second one would be, I would really want to be kind of, you know, doing this podcast is sort of awakened. I would love to be a a counselor or a therapist, Mm. something about listening to everyone's trauma over this podcast that's speaking to me. And it's like, you just want to help people because yeah. you know I know how much therapy has helped me. And all my friends seem to think I am a good listener. And I do give them, I try to get them to realize what they want to do. And I think that yeah. that's what therapists really do. And you know, my brother is a, is a wonderful life coach and I've learned a lot from him as well. But yeah, so those would be my. Well, those are very good answers. And they are kind of, I feel like interrelated in that you want to help people get their, to their potential, like their highest potential, but yes, in both in their two highest different, self. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, maybe you should just go be a life coach. Cause then you could do both. You kind of be a therapist and a, an once agent. I got, once I got my life together, we can talk about me being <laughs> a life coach, but uh, oh, yeah, it's, well, those who don't do teach. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what I mean. You don't need to, to get right, your life together. Exactly. You can just teach just people how personally do. for me, And like you said, I will preface this with, I have a lot of stuff going on for me that is, I adore and that that I would never take back. I love. And you're super passionate about it. I'm obsessed with all of it. Even it's kind of almost like Molly reminded me of like, she loves modeling. She just hates the environment. I feel that way sometimes about hospitality. I love making people happy. Like I love Mm -hmm. to provide a party, a good time, an escape. And, and I love production and I love doing this podcast and I love all of that. But I'd say in a perfect world, like since I was, I, I mean, probably from my first memories of what I wanted to be was always, and it sounds so cheesy and, and but an astronaut, like I straight up wanted to be an astronaut and you wanted to I, work for NASA. I wanted to go to space, Todd. Oh my like, God. I wanted to go to space because I still do. To, to anybody that's listening who wants to take me to space, I'm going right now. I don't think you, you need a passport. Go. I would go in a heartbeat. I know there are people out there that are freaked out about space, but I've I'm I Terrified. love I love flying. I've just a couple hours shy of my pilot's license. So like I would love to be an astronaut, but I think that my mental, you know, capabilities 
weren't, you know, up to par, but I love to just the fact that you then get to help other people by discovering things while you're up there and cures for stuff. And I don't know. I just think it's cool. And and I'm going to ask you as we end this podcast, but I want to ask you, do you believe in aliens? Yes, I definitely believe in it. I don't see how there couldn't be, you know, there's just, it's too big, vast of a universe. And I don't know if, I mean, if you think about time, we could go into this forever, Todd, like, well, but let I me go. Let's go yes, let's, so we're on the same page. Yeah. So let's go get some ketamine drips and talk right. about, talk about, uh, aliens. talk about aliens. It'll be the best day ever. Uh, well, I'll, I will be in Charleston soon yes. watching you do Dancing with the Stars. So maybe we can go get a ketamine. Oh my God, please let's perform. do that. Do not take that back from me. We're doing it. That sounds the good. The day after. Awesome. I'm, I'm down. All right. All right. Thanks, Molly, for being on the program. We, we really, really, really enjoyed you. Thank you so much. All right. I'll see you later, Todd. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 